again. Come on, let's sing this out. You are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sins. Oh, you are, you are peace, you are peace, when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing.
by which man could be saved. We know there's a lot of ways that uh, we think that we could get to you through religion, through doing a list of things or not doing a list of things. But God, we know that your son in the name of Jesus is the only way to be able to be made right with you. God, that you like us just where we're at, that you sent your son for us, that you love us, that you're not surprised by the things going on in our life, that you're not angry with us. We don't have to do anything to get you to like us more, but, but you're madly in love with us. And you, you would have sent your son if it was just us here on, on this planet in need of a savior. We love you, Jesus, for everything that you did and for who you are. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can uh, have a seat. Welcome to 19 North. We're so glad that you're here. If it's your first time, we're so glad that you made it out and you decided to join us this evening. Give a round of applause for our first-time guests. So here's the thing. Uh, tonight we've got an awesome guest speaker for you, Pastor Christopher Alam. Uh, he ministers the gospel all over the world, uh, mainly in the co- country of Africa. And he puts on crusades that impact thousands and thousands and multiply thousands of people. And uh, we're going to hear from him tonight. And he's going to tell us about uh, his motivation behind why he does what he does. And he, he's, he's also going to, I think, um, if you guys were in main service, he did a really awesome job. You know, he, he talks about how he preaches to multitudes and he preaches to many thousands of people. Um, but but he's going he's gonna to give us a snapshot. He's going to give us a slice of uh, just one or two of those stories out of those thousands. And it, and it really uh, gives you a good picture of why he does what he does and how he's impacting people in the world around us. So uh, we're going to get going and just give a warm 19 North welcome uh, for uh, Pastor Christopher Alum. Uh, God bless you in the name of Jesus. Good to be here. Before I go any further, I want to show you some uh, pictures from our work in Africa. Just to show you some pictures, I'll also show you a couple of uh, short videos. Do you have the PowerPoint loaded? Can do that? Yeah, please start that. Uh, There's my wife and I. Next one, next picture. One of my house pets in Africa. As you can see, I'm a cat person. Next picture. This is uh, one of our campaigns in Africa. On this field, we had 30,000 people baptized with the Holy Ghost at one time on this field. Next picture. This is uh, Victoria from Zimbabwe. The next one. This is in Lobengula, Zimbabwe. The next one. This is, uh, well, one of the townships in Lusaka, Zambia, where I was a few months ago. The next one. This a, a mother walks with a little girl who was born paralyzed, had never been able to stand or walk her whole life. The next one. Uh, she could not walk and moved around on a cart. Here she walks, and the ushers are holding up her cart in the background. She was actually born totally paralyzed, had never walked in her whole life. She's walking for the first time, and that... The ushers are holding the cart up. Next one. Uh, These two sisters, 12 and 6 years old, were born deaf and mute, and they were brought to the crusade by their father. That's the guy in the striped shirt. And and both of them got their hearing and their speech at one time. This is from Zambia. And the next one is... Now, this is good. This little boy had a club foot. Well, his father, he came uh, when when the boy was new, uh, about 6 months old. He came to one of our crusades and he said, Pastor, my, he came to me after the service, he said, Pastor, this is my little boy and the, and it was a newborn baby and his foot was actually, the sole was facing upward, the foot was turned, it was round like this, like a ball. That's why it's called a club foot, it's like a club. And we prayed and Jesus straightened that foot out. And so he's now back five or six years later and uh, shows us his son, his, his left foot, that was the club foot. And so I asked him what he was doing these days. He said, well, I got saved in that meeting and now I'm pastoring a church. So that's the father. And the next one is, uh, this is our crusade team in Africa. Third from right in the back, me, uh, I'm sure you, you recognize Sarah Weaver from this church here. And the next one is uh, 
This is the Vidya School of Ministry for Pastors. And the next one is, this is in Indonesia, Jakarta, Indonesia, also called there. And the next picture is, this is in Athens, Greece. Next one is, this is in Rosario, Argentina. I'm going back there in, uh, in November. Next one. Yeah, this is also from Africa. Now, I want to show you a couple of videos. They're short. They're about 45 seconds each. The first one is a little boy who was born with a tumor in his brain. He's 13 years old. He's born with a tumor in his brain because of which he has never been able to speak. He's born totally mute. And you'll see him speak for the first time in his life. He was born with brain tumor inside, inside the he brain. He was born with a brain tumor, yes. okay? Then he was very easy to talk or to say anything else. Okay. But then after prayer, there is something that is uh, making them amazed because now he's talking, he's saying something. Really? Yes. He wasn't able to, he wasn't say, able to say anything. He was. But now he's talking something. 13 years old? Like I said, he has not spoken his whole life. He was born with a growth in his head. Okay, now listen to this. They move better. Mama. Jesus. Jesus. One. Two. Okay. Ask him, what is his name? Now, the next one, I don't remember what it is, but when you roll it, I'll tell you what it is. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this lady was blind. She was blind. She was blind. Okay. How long was she blind? She was, uh, this woman was completely blind in both eyes. Couldn't see anything. Three months she has been blind. Yes. Do you know what caused the blindness? Do you know what caused the blindness? Do you know what and so on, she became blind. Okay. Stand right there. Okay. Can you see me? Can you see me? Look at me. Yes, you see me. Okay, do, do what I do. You see me now, she does. Okay. Okay. I'm going to show you another one. Can I show you another one? Now, this is a little, little girl who was born totally paralyzed, had never stood or walked her whole life, and, and she begins to walk. This is from Mozambique. Walking. She could not walk. She could not walk. How long? What's the tempo? Is it since birth? Yes, she has never Never. She has never walked. How old is she? Quantos anos tem essa criança? Que idade tem? Two years, four months. Two years, four months, she has never walked. Never. Okay, let's see. Então, põe no chão, queremos ver. Se já consegue andar. Let's see, mama. Let's see, mama. This girl has never walked. Já está andando a criança. She's not walking. Já está andando a criança. A criança já está andando. All right, praise God. So now you've been to Africa. Amen. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you in the soundboard for showing this. I want to share with you. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, if you please. Galatians chapter 1, from verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony. He says, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. What Paul is basically saying, he's talking about his background, and what he's saying is that uh, he was born a Jew, and he was a zealous Jew, so that when the Jews are persecuting the church, Paul was in the forefront of that, and that he was zealous for the, you know, the traditions of religion. And then he talks about the turning point in his life, he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. You know, it says it pleased God. And he says, God 
separated me from my mother's womb. In other words, Paul lived his life with a sense of destiny. He, he understood the purpose for which God had put him on this earth. And I tell people, you can make as much money as you like, in your, as you like and you can have all the outward trappings of success in life, but unless you know your purpose and you're actually living out your purpose, you'll never be truly happy or satisfied in life. And, and Paul understood. He said that God called me from my mother's womb. And that's why he preached the gospel, because God had called him from his mother's womb. And then it says, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. What he's saying is that God's primary calling upon our lives is to give us a revelation of Jesus Christ in the inner man. And from that revelation of Christ, his ministry was born. Paul preached the gospel, but he preached the gospel not as a profession. He preached the gospel out of a revelation. You know, because you can only share with conviction those things that are real to you. You can only preach with conviction. Uh, with conviction, the things that are real to you. And you know what? People see through a person who's real and a person uh, who's just religious. A religious person, for him, he talks about things that are not really real to him. But a person uh, of faith, a person who has real faith, has a revelation in his heart, and he speaks from that revelation. So, now this is his testimony. He had a revelation of Jesus, and that's why he preached Christ. And... Uh, I want, to, I want to share with you why I preach the gospel, why I do what I do. Because, uh, you know, until I got saved, that is not what I used to do. I did many different things. I was an advertising executive at one time. I was also an army officer. And uh, I had never envisioned at that time that I would be preaching the gospel. But I want to share with you my story and what brought me where I am today. Now, there are two sets of reasons why I preach the gospel. The first set of reason, uh, reasons, I would call it the biblical reasons. Now, when I talk about the biblical reasons why I preach the gospel, um, that first category, there are reasons like I preach the gospel because Jesus told us to preach the gospel. There is something in the Bible called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is when Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we have received a commandment from Jesus that we should go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now that's called the Great Commission. It's actually a commandment. That's why it's not called the Great Suggestion. But it's called, it's called the Great Commission. We have been commissioned and we have received a mandate to preach the gospel. So that's one reason why I do it. And everybody should be involved in this. Either... Either you go yourself, and if God doesn't call you to go, you support others who go. You know, either you go or you send others who go. Now, then there's another reason. I, I say this way. I preach the gospel because, um, because Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Now, I know we live in a postmodernistic age, and uh, some of you in university and you, you move around in the world, and, the, and there are people who actually believe that, yes, I believe in Jesus, and He's the way to God, but there are many other ways to God. You know, they say, there's many other ways to God. But, here's the thing, Jesus, He diffused that by saying very clearly, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. In other words, Jesus did not recognize anybody else as being a way to God. You know, I grew up as a Muslim, and uh, I can tell you one thing, very emphatically and very clearly, that Islam is not the way to God. You know, these are not, there, there are many religions, and they all say a lot of good things, and they all agree in a lot of things, but they also contradict each other. And when two things contradict each other, there's no way they can be saying the same thing, because there are contradictions, and those contradictions are so big that there's no way you could accommodate them as being the same thing. So, Jesus is the only way to God. And so I preach the gospel because I want to make sure that as many as possible hear the gospel. So, you know, so on and so forth. We have the biblical reasons why we preach the gospel. Now, I want to really focus on 
the personal reasons why I preach the gospel. All of us have a personal reason why we, why we do what we do. And I have my personal reasons. And that's what I really want to share with you tonight. The first personal reason is what Jesus has done for me. Now, uh, I mean, I look at you folks sitting here in church tonight, you know. Until the age of 21, I had never seen a Bible. I had never met a Christian. I would never been to church. I would never even seen a Bible or met a Christian. I knew nothing about Jesus except that, uh, you know, in Islam they call him Isa, and that Isa or Jesus was the, pre, well, was the prophet of the Muslims, just like the Christian, I mean, of the, the prophet of the Christians, just like Muhammad was the prophet of the Muslims. I mean, that's all I believe. Now, I didn't know anything more than that. Now, the thing is that I, I grew up in a Muslim home, in a totally Muslim environment. And everybody in my family was Muslim. All my friends were Muslims. And uh, uh, until the age of eight, I had a very happy childhood. But when I was eight, my family split up. My father and my mother split up. My mother went her own ways. And uh, I didn't see her again for many years. And she's alive today. And uh, really, I mean, I met her a few times. And she's really like a strange person to me who's not related to me. There's no chemistry between us because I grew up without her and she chose to live her own life. But what happened after my parents split up, my father married another lady. And this lady was very cruel because from the age of eight until the age of almost 13, I I remember receiving severe beatings from her, if not every day, almost every day. She was a very violent and cruel person. And to this day, I don't understand why she was that way. But anyway, that, I felt like that robbed me of my childhood. I, was, I received violent beatings all these years. And then I remember by the time I was about 12, 13, I totally despaired of life. I felt like my, my life had been taken away from me. And, uh, but I didn't know where to go. And one day, I read in the newspaper that the Air Force was taking... Um, was taking kids my age and uh, inducting them as cadets and we would be given an education and they would give us weapons training and by the time we'd be 17 we'd start doing basic flying training and then uh, we'd get receive full you know uh, flying training and we become fighter pilots in the air force and thousands of people applied for that and I applied and the only reason I applied was because I just wanted to get away from my family and uh, there were about 10,000 applicants, and I think they were taking about 29 or 30 people, and I came in as number 26 or 27. And, but the thing was that, here's the, the amazing thing that um, I didn't have the answer to for many years. I couldn't, I couldn't understand that after I joined, you know, they cut my hair, put me in a uniform, and here I was in a totally different environment, so far from my stepmother and my father. I couldn't understand why it still hurt inside. You know, I was so far away from the people who hurt me, but it still hurt on the inside. Now, it took me years to realize when I was in the ministry, when I was counseling people, it took me years to realize that, you see, once that spirit of rejection and bitterness and hurt gets inside you, it'll torment you the rest of your life. It doesn't matter how far you go away from your tormentors, or even if they are dead and you're old and... They're not there to torment you anymore because once that thing is inside you, it will dictate to you how you look at yourself. It will dictate to you how you think of the way you perceive others think of you. It will dictate to you how you will respond to other people in your relationships. And it can really turn your life askew and torment you. And that's what it did to me. So by the time I was 15, I was suicidal. I really wanted to end it all. I wanted to die. But uh, there were several things. Firstly, Islam teaches that suicide is a cardinal sin. If you commit suicide, you go straight to hell and there's no mitigating circumstances. That's what Islam actually teaches. So this whole concept of what we read in the news today, suicide bombers, that's totally un-Islamic because Islam teaches that suicide is a cardinal sin. Now, at the same time, I, I always believed there was a God. I knew there was a God and I knew there was a heaven and a hell. And I knew that one day I'm going to die and I'm going to face judgment. 
And I knew that I'd be found wanting. And I knew that I was a sinner and I would go to hell. I knew that. So I was very afraid of dying and going to hell. And, um, and so here I was trapped in a life I did not want to live. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I did not want to live in, but I had no, I had no choice. So then a couple more years passed, and then I was 17. When I turned 17, there was trouble. There was civil war in one part of our country. Then there was all kinds of upheavals and turmoil, and there was tension between us and our neighbors, uh, our neighboring country, and we knew that there would soon be war. Well, just before the war started, the president came on the radio and the TV, and he announced that we will soon be at war, and this is going to be jihad. He declared jihad. Now, jihad in Arabic means a holy war. That means you're fighting not just for your country, but you're fighting for the cause of God, for Allah. And if you get killed in a jihad, you go straight to heaven, you know, because you are you're fighting for, uh, you know, for, uh, for the cause of your God. So I, I believe that. So just imagine when you're 17 years old, you're thinking of your future, you're thinking of college, and I'm just thinking of dying because I had nothing to live for. That's how torn up I was. So when the war, so uh, I spent a whole month, Fasting, praying, I fasted a whole month. I prayed every day for hours every day. I read the Quran. All I was doing was basically cleansing and purifying myself and ready to meet God because I believe this war will start and I'm going to die. Well, the war started and uh, I was not a fully trained fighter pilot as yet, but uh, I could use small arms. I could, use, I could fight on the ground. So I, um, uh, I, I volunteered for ground operations. Well, during that war, all I can say is that I did everything I could to get killed. You know, I did everything I could to get killed. And the war ended, and I was still alive, but thousands of other people died. They were, and they were all people your age, you know, all, all young people. That, that, that was a shocking thing about war. It's always young people who die. And these people had everything to live for. They had siblings who loved them. They had uncles and aunts and parents who loved them. And there were people who died, and there were those who didn't die, but who were maimed physically for life. Then there were those who were, who were not physically hurt, but mentally they had lost their minds. Because, you know, even an exploding uh, artillery shell, if it explodes in your close proximity, it can really mess up your brains, and it can mess you up the rest of your life. So I saw terrible things, and I suddenly realized, you know, it began to dawn on me how unfair everything was. Here I was. I had nothing to live for. I wanted to die, and I was alive. And here, here were all these other people who wanted to live, had everything to live for, and they were alive, and I couldn't understand why. So all these questions turned me, turned me into, I would say, somewhat agnostic. I, uh, I didn't really know for sure if there was a God anymore, uh, or if he was there, because agnostic, an agnostic is someone who's kind of between a believer and an atheist. He doesn't really know. So I, I didn't really know. I said, if there's, I don't know if there's a God anymore. And if he is there, I don't really know if he cares, you know. Otherwise, I wouldn't be, and people around me wouldn't be in the shape we are. And um, anyway, so a couple more years passed. I went back. I, left, um, uh, I was commissioned into the army, became an army officer. And uh, I left the army, went back into the army, left again, went back again. I really didn't know what I wanted with my life. I worked at different things. I was not happy doing anything. And then one day, I remember I was 21 years of age. I was walking down the street. I was going to a shop to buy, to an electrical shop, I remember, to buy something. And I saw on the other side of the street, I saw a white man. I saw an Englishman. Uh, and he, he, he stood there and he was handing out tracts, pieces of paper, pamphlets to people. And I remember looking at his face thinking, this man has a peace and a joy I don't have. He has something I don't have. And the other thing I was thinking, I wonder what he's smoking, what he's on. Because, because you've got to understand, this is the mid-70s and the hippie movement was in full flow, you know. And everyone was smoking something or popping some pill or injecting something. So I was wondering what he was on and, because he looked so happy. But I thought... He has something I don't have, so I have to find out. So I crossed the street, I walked up to him, and he gave me a couple of tracts, and 
Then I asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm from England, and I travel around the world telling people about Jesus Christ. And he began to talk about Jesus, and that grabbed me, because this was the first time in my life I had ever heard of Jesus. And he began to talk about Jesus. He looked at me, and he said, Jesus Christ can set you free. And for me, Jesus was somebody who lived centuries ago or thousands of years ago. He was a prophet amongst many other prophets, and he had lived and he had died. And, and, and you know, he wasn't like a living person, a, a, a life-changing factor who could change my life today. You know, you didn't, you didn't think of Jesus in those terms. But he said, I said, well, how can Jesus set me free? Isn't it that he lived many, you know, centuries ago? He said, yes, but... He's alive today, and if you invite him into your heart, he will come into your heart. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, how, will that, how, how do I ask him? He said, well, you just have to pray. And the only kind of prayer I knew was the Muslim ritualistic prayer. But he said, if you pray, he's going to come into your heart. So, I, uh, so he said, I can lead you in a prayer. So I remember closing my eyes, and I prayed a simple prayer. And, uh, I, and it was a very simple prayer. It was not a very religious prayer. Because this guy had like long hair. He was, he was part of the Jesus people type, you know, hippies. And he said something like, hey man, Jesus. He said, come into my heart and set me free. Something like that, you know. So, uh, so I prayed, you know, man, Jesus, come into my heart, set me free. And amen, amen. And then I, I only said amen. So I opened my eyes. And you know, something amazing happened. Because when I opened my eyes, uh, up to then, my life had been in a grayscale. Everything had been in shades of gray. And suddenly everything was like in technicolor. I don't know how else to describe it. I was filled with this joy. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I used to live a very sinful and unclean life. I used to run around with my friends. And that evening my friends came. They said, come, let's go out. Uh, and I said, no. I said, I, I, I'm not in a mood for any monkeying around. He said, he, said, he said, no, let's go. He said, you never say no to a party. Let's go. I said, no, I said, I can't go with you. And, uh, and they said, why? Are you sick? I said, no, I'm not sick, I'm well. And they said, well, something's happened. I said, well, I don't know. I said, maybe it could be what happened to me this morning. And they said, what happened this morning? I said, well, I met a man and he told me about Jesus Christ. And I invited Jesus Christ into my life. And it seems that Jesus Christ lives inside me and he won't let me do the things that uh, I used to do before. He said, have you become a Christian? I said, I don't know. I don't know what Christians believe. Do you? He says, I don't either. So he said, I said, I, he said, he said, well, this is strange. I said, I know this is strange, but this is what I did and this is what happened. So he got very worried. He called my father. My father by that time was a general in the army. And uh, now you've got to understand, my father was a very famous, per, you know, uh, military personality. He was a general, and he at one time was number two man. Uh, he was the deputy director general of the organization that worked with the CIA and raised up the Taliban and trained Osama bin Laden. So he had a, don't look at me like that, I had nothing to do with it. But, but he, he, he was, you know, he was pretty high up. And so in Muslim countries, when, uh, when someone becomes a Christian, it brings a disgrace, it stigmatizes the whole family. And, uh, and the only way they can, they can change that is either to get me to repent and go back to Islam, and if I refuse, they would kill me. Because in Islam, apostasy, leaving Islam, is punishable by death. So anyway, so my father and uh, another general and a couple of other officer friends of theirs, they decided that something was seriously wrong with me because... They said, we have never seen anyone change so much in such a short time. So they were wondering if someone has hypnotized me or what, you know. So they put me in the army mental hospital. So I was in the army mental hospital going through evaluations and all that. They were checking me. They found nothing with me. But they kept me in there and I began to share my faith with others. And, um, and then uh, one of the staff members got saved. And when he got saved, that's when the psychiatrist called me and he said, you know, I'm going to release from here. You're just stirring up trouble here. So he released me. So I was out of there. I was kept under house arrest and I escaped. And then uh, I was on the streets preaching 
and uh, sh you know, sharing the gospel with others, handing out tracts. Then after some months, I was arrested by the police. And I was taken to prison under a clause in the law that allowed the government to keep someone like me on some kind of terrorism charge without recourse to any legal counsel. And uh, they could keep me in there for life if they wanted to. And they told me, you'll come out of here as a Muslim. You'll either go back to Islam or you'll come out in a casket. Or you'll be here the rest of your life until you die. So, uh, but I knew that God had called me to preach the gospel. So I knew somehow I would come out. Well, I was there for almost a year. And then they released me. And uh, I came out of prison. And then they said I couldn't meet any Christians. I couldn't have a Bible, and which, I, which I did. I went to church and I had a Bible. And one day they raided the house and they found a Bible under my mattress. And uh, they arrested me again. And this time they said, we have done everything we can to bring you back to Islam. But you will not change. So we have no other recourse, but you'll be executed. And executed through beheading. And so... That's when I decided to escape from the country. I escaped and I went to Afghanistan. I went to the Soviet Union. This was Afghanistan just before the Soviet invasion and after the military coup there. It was very tense and I went to the Soviet Union. I went to Turkey. I went to Belgium, Holland. They ended up in Sweden. When I came to Sweden, I applied for political asylum and I was granted political asylum. I went to Bible school. I met my wife in church, we got married, we lived there for many years until we moved here. So, I tell people, I preach the gospel because of what Jesus has done in my life. I look back at my life and I see where I was and where I am today and what God brought me out of, the dangers he brought me through and uh, I'm so thankful to the Lord for that. So, I preach the gospel because of what Jesus has done in my life. Each one of us has a story to tell. Why you are here today. God has done something in your life. And God has done something in my life. And that's the first reason I preach the gospel. Praise God. The second reason I preach the gospel. Is because of what I have seen Jesus do in the lives of others. Now I'm thinking of that little boy. The first little boy you saw on the, on the video. I mean, just, just imagine, 13 years old, uh, born with a tumor in his brain, has been mute all his life, never been able to speak. And then the hand of God touches him. And then suddenly, he is able to speak. His mother asks him, what is your name? And he responds with his name. You know, you see, you see things like that. And you see that no matter what people say, you know, there is skepticism and unbelief in the world. But we know, and we have seen with our own lives, that Jesus is alive today. And, and the Bible says, you know, in the third chapter of the book of Acts, when they were told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and they said, the apostles said, you can do what you like, but we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. We have seen things, we have heard things, we have seen what God has done in the lives of other people. And... I want to share a little story with you I always tell. And this was a couple of years ago in the township of Chaisa in Zambia. I was doing a campaign there. And there was a family there who lived about a mile away from the field where I was preaching. And this uh, family, they had, I mean, they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, I found out they didn't like Christians. And um, they had two children. They had a daughter who was 11 and a son who was 9. Now, the, the son, he was born normal, but when he was two, he had contracted spinal meningitis that had left him permanently par uh, paralyzed. So he used to lay in his bed every day, and every evening the, the parents would say to the daughter, look after your little brother, mom and dad are going out. And they would go out to the local bar and drink, have some beers with their friends, and they'd spend the whole evening drinking, and they'd, they'd, they'd come back home late at night. This they did almost every evening. So, Tuesday night I started my crusade. Now you've got to understand, we've got, I mean, I, I've got a PA system. When I'm preaching here, you can hear me two or three miles away. I've got a huge PA system. 
So, and the reason I have that, and I'm, I'm always adding things to it, the reason I have that is because I want to make sure that everybody hears the gospel whether they like it or not. You know, you don't come to my crusade, I'll come to you. I'll come to your house. I will get under your skin. You can't, you can't run, but you cannot hide, you know. I'll find you where you are. So anyway, so, so this boy, he's in his house about a mile away. And he's laying on his bed. And through the open window on Tuesday night, he hears me preach. I start on Tuesday night. He hears me preach on Tuesday night. He hears me preach on Wednesday night. Then on Thursday night, as soon as the parents leave for the bar, he says to his sister, he says, could you please pick me up and carry me on your back to where this man is? Uh, because I believe his Jesus is going to heal me. And uh, the sister says, well, you know, mom and dad will be very upset. They don't like preachers. They don't like Christians. And he says, I know they don't but, and because I asked mom and dad and they wouldn't take me. But this is my only hope. Could you please carry me? And the sister said, you know, you're almost as big as I am. It's quite far. My school is right next to it. And it's, it's a long ways to go. And you are heavy. And he began to cry. He begged and he pleaded. And she began to cry when she sees her brother cry. And then he says, look, I promise you, you'll only have to carry me one way. Because you carry me there, Jesus will heal me. I'm going to walk back. And anyway, after a lot of back and forth, so she said, I'll pick you up. So she, she picked him up on her back and she they stepped out of the house. Now you've got to understand, in those, those townships are desperately poor, those places in Africa. Firstly, there's no street lights. It's pitch dark outside. Secondly, the roads are not paved. There's sharp rocks and it's, it's uh, uh, potholes and, and you don't really know where you're going. You know, you can be walking and you stop, fall right into a hole. And they were walking, they walked a few steps when she fell into, stepped into a hole and she fell and he fell. They both cut themselves and she said, I can't do this anymore and and he begged her, he said, please, please, don't give up. And she picks him up, she walks a few more steps, she falls down again, and she cries. And I, when I saw them later on that evening, I don't know how many times they had fallen and hurt themselves. But, you know, from their faces, their foreheads, their, their cheeks, their arms, their, uh, their legs, I mean, they were all skinned, and, and, and all the skin was gone. They were scraped and cut and skinned, and they were bleeding and covered with dirt. But somehow they made it to that field. And that night Jesus healed that little boy. Because he came up on the platform, and, and that's how I heard this story. And uh, he came up and testified, and his sister came with him. And, um, and they happily walked back home. And that night the parents came home, and they saw that the son... And they went on their knees and they began to weep. And the next night, they brought the entire extended, extended family, uncles, aunts, cousins, and all their neighbors. They all came and they all gave their lives to Jesus. And I gathered my team together um, that night. I said, look, I don't know how many people we had here. Maybe we had 60, 70, 80,000 people here. But you know what? We, I said, year after year, month after month, we do these crusades. And we see, when we take pictures, it's always a mass, like you saw the pictures. You see the crowd. But I said, sometimes God allows us to see these individuals to, for us to realize that this is about people. Jesus loves people. Jesus cares for people. And secondly, the only currency that is, that is honored in heaven is faith. It's not euros or dollars. Those, those things won't get you anywhere. The only thing God honors is faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith, all things are possible. If you come to God with faith, all things are possible. If you come to God with a humble heart and with faith in your heart, He will meet you and He will touch you right where you are. And, 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 and I said that if we came all the way just for this little kid, it would have been worth it all because he had faith in God. And so I think of that little boy so many times and I think I preach the gospel because of the little kid. And I have seen other kids like that and then people who were blind like that blind woman and then there's people whose, whose lives were changed. Uh, we have seen uh, people come as drunks and drug addicts to the crusades and 
some are extremely violent and we have to subdue them. And then they write to us 15 years later, I came to your crusade, I was fighting, I was drunk, but today I am a man of God, I am I'm a servant of the gospel, I am a pastor. And you see people's lives change. And so I preach the gospel because of what I have seen Jesus do in the lives of other people. I have seen year after year what Jesus has done in the lives of other people, and that's why I preach the gospel. Now, the last reason I, um, the third reason why I preach the gospel, I preach the gospel because of a man called Jim Turner. And let me explain to you who Jim Turner was. When, when I came out of prison and uh, I started going to a church, um, I remember uh, it was a, it was an um, Anglican church, which I believe is known as the Episcopalian Church here. It was an Anglican church, and they were, it was a good evangelical Anglican church. They preached that people should be born again, and I believe the pastor was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was an old man, an Australian missionary. And I used to go to that church, and I was so eager. I used to sit in the front. They had good worship, good preaching. And I remember one Wednesday night, midweek service, he called me aside, and he said, Brother, when you come on Sunday, could you please sit in the back? I said, why, Pastor? He said, well, because Sunday morning is communion Sunday, and I want you to sit in the back. I don't want you to come for communion. I said, but, Pastor, I want to take communion because communion is partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus, and I believe Jesus died for me. He was crucified for me. He shed his blood for me. He said, no, no, I understand that, and I would rather give you communion than to anybody else. But you see, in our Anglican denomination, we only give communion to those who are water baptized. And since you're not baptized, I'm sorry, I cannot give you communion. So I said, Pastor, this is Wednesday, and Sunday is four days away. Why can't you baptize me during these days? He says, no, I'm sorry, I can't baptize you. I said, Pastor, is there someone else who can baptize me? He said, no. I said, but, but why can't you baptize me? He says, let me explain something to you. He says, this is what happens in Muslim countries. He says, like someone like you, when you come to Jesus, he said, they will persecute you. They will try to kill you. They will try to coerce you coming back to come back to Islam. They will threaten you. They will do all kinds of things. Depends upon your family, you know. Uh, sometimes they'll just kill them outright, but... Some, but most families try to at least give you an opportunity to come back. And he said, they've done that to you. But he said, what happens? The Muslims, there's no water baptism in Islam. But the way Muslims view water baptism is that when a person gets water baptized, they know. They say, this person has now crossed the line of no return. He's not coming back. That's like the final break with Islam. So he says, when you get water baptized, they will kill both you. The fundamentalists, they will kill you and they will kill the pastor who baptized you. Because we have seen several new converts from Islam being killed, and we, are, and have, we have had the pastors who have baptized them also killed. So I couldn't find anyone to water baptize me, and I used to sit alone in church when everybody else went for communion. Then I meet this American mission, missionary from Kansas. His name was Jim Turner. And I had met him a few times, didn't know him that well. And Jim said to me, he says, hey, uh, I heard you want to get baptized. I'll baptize you. I said, Pastor, it's very difficult because then you risk your life. I found out they might even kill you. Plus, you're American. It could be an international thing. He said, look, he says, this is the thing. I have been watching you, and I know that the hand of God is on your life. And uh, I don't want anything to hinder you from fully partaking in what God has for you. If, if taking communion is so important to you, I will baptize you. I know the risk. So he took me to the Arabian Sea, and in front of many witnesses, both Muslims and Christians, he baptized me. So I got baptized, and a few weeks later I left the country, and a few months later I was in Sweden, and about five months after I, I was baptized, I was in Sweden, I got a letter from him, another American missionary. Uh, he wrote to me, that Jim Turner had been killed and they had found his body up on the mountains. You know, you can't even imagine 
what I went through. Because, because the book of Romans says that nobody will give his life for another man. Even for a good person, scarcely will somebody else die. And I was just an Arab kid who wanted to take communion. And an American missionary with a wife and three children gave his life so that I could take communion and so that I could live to fulfill God's calling on my life. It costs something to serve Jesus. There is a price to pay to serve Jesus. For some, the price is a little bit of name-calling to endure that. But for some, it's everything. And I look at the price I have had to pay. Yes, I've been to prison. I've been arrested, tortured. Okay. But Jim Turner, it cost him everything. A few years later, when I was at Rama, I located his widow. She lived in Kansas. I called her, and she cried on the phone. She says, Brother, never give up. Always preach the gospel, because my husband really believed in you. He really believed in you. So for the past 35 years, I've lived my life trying to pay off a debt that I know I will never, never, never be able to repay. Every time I preach the gospel, every time I do an altar call, I'm trying to repay that debt. And I know I can never repay that debt in full. Even when I preach for the last time and I die and I go to be with Jesus in heaven, there will be that one thing that is left unpaid. Because of the price the man paid. So I have to live my life to fulfill God's calling on my life. And God's calling on his unfulfilled life. And I have to live my life with total passion. Because anything less than that would be an insult and a dishonor to the price that man paid so that I can stand before you today. Now some of you might say, well, this experience of yours is unique for you because I don't have anyone in my life, but there is. There is somebody called Jesus. He was whipped, beaten, bruised. They mocked him. They spat upon him, cursed him. And covered with his own blood, covered with the spit of sinners, covered with dirt, and with the blasphemies and mockings of sinners ringing in his ears, he carried that cross to Calvary just for people like you and for me. That is how much you are worth to God. That is the price that he was willing to pay. For you. So that you can follow Jesus. Wholeheartedly. So I said there is a price to pay. But that price was paid by him. But there is a little bit. Sometimes that calls us to pay. That God calls us to pay. For some it's a little bit less. For some it's a little bit more. Jim Turner it cost him everything. It's not going to cost you that much. But yet it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. That's why we tell people, don't just believe in Jesus, but give your life to Jesus. I never tell people, just believe in Jesus. Because the Bible says, even Satan believes in Jesus. But give your life to Jesus. And tonight I want to give you this opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Let's bow our heads today. This evening, let's bow our heads before God. Now I know many of you, you, you love Jesus. And you know, you say, Pastor, I'm saved. And praise God. 
Jesus Christ lives in my life. But if there's anybody in this place, and you say, Pastor Chris, I, I need to get right with God. The price has been paid, but I want to clear my account. I want to give my life to Him 100%. I want to get right with him. If that's the condition of your soul, and you want to get right with God, let me see your hand right now, right where you are. I want to pray with you. God bless you there. God bless you, ladies. God bless you, young man there. God bless you. Anybody else? You need to get right with God. Anybody else? God bless you, miss. Anybody else? Bless you. Anybody else? This is your opportunity. Pastor John, would you come? Would you lead them in prayer? You raise your hand uh, to pray with Christopher tonight. Would you all pray together with those that raised their hand uh, for that for that to make that commitment? We'll pray it all together with you. Pray it out loud where you hear it, though, with your own ears. And Christ will come into your life. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you can walk with God all the days of your life. Pray this out loud as we all pray together with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on a cross to bear the debt of my sin. I open the door of my heart and the door of my life. And Jesus, I invite you in now. I receive you now to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Thank you for coming. I am now a child of God. My sin debt is paid. I am now heaven bound. And I boldly confess, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Amen. Give him a hand, would you? start worship guys um, we're going to have some prayer partners go into the back of the room if there's anything that you would really like to pray for tonight you know this is your opportunity we just want to make sure that you can believe with someone that whatever is in your life that same God that you see overseas with all these seas of people that Christopher Alam you know sees in life you can see that if you're dealing with any physical conditions any problems, any mental things, anything in your life, nothing's impossible for him. So I want to make sure that you guys can pr pray with somebody and believe together that tonight could be the night that you're set free. So I just wanted to say that. Thanks, guys. Stand up and worship. Beautiful God, may your majesty aside. You reach out in love to show me life Lifted from darkness into light Oh, King for a slave Trading your righteousness for shame Despite all my pride and foolish ways
Father God, on that cross, we thank you, Father, that we're washed in your blood, white as snow, Father God. We praise your name. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me.
that is inside of us, Father God. It's taken care of because you paid for it on that cross, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that your blood just washes us so snow white and clean. We can just be perfect in your sight, Father God. You restore us. We thank you, Father God, for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. That was um, that was awesome. What a what a cool night. What a blessing it was to have Christopher here and and just end in, in that awesome worship that completely lines up with what you know he had to to preach to us. Um, so we just wanted to recap a few things, guys, before we before we send you out. Um, next week we're starting our series called The Dip. If you want to come back and just check it out, we're going to be talking about um, what to do when you don't know what to do, and then also what to do when you don't feel like doing it. So it's going to be really great. It's really perfect for you know us and this time of life when we're trying to figure out what the destiny that God has for us is and, and what to do with our lives. Um, so we'd love to see you there. Also, October 20th, we're going to be having a hoedown. So it's a little a little different, but it's going to be so much fun. Um, we really hope that you can make it, you know, wear your, your cowboy gear if you have that. Um, and then also, we just want to let you know that after service, we're going to be having um, the meet and greet over here. And that's if you're new, um, if you want to meet some leaders, you know, get some more info about 19 North, we'd love to pray with you and everything, too. And if you have any questions, even if it's not at the meet and greet, you can look for anyone with, like, a tag like I have. And those are the 19 North leaders. And just come up to us, and we'd love to talk with you. Uh, also, at the door, we're going to be doing offering. So... You know, if you want to give your offering, you can do that there. And then we're also going to be giving out, if you want to participate in the Samaritan's Purse, uh, give a gift for a child, you're going to be getting the, the little pamphlets at the door with gift ideas of things to get for the kids there. So we're, we're so excited. We're so glad that you guys were here tonight. Um, we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. So thank you, God, for this night. Thank you for the message that Christopher had for us and all the great things that you have in store for our lives. Um, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, and prayer partners are still at the back, guys. Bye.